Hello and welcome to this episode of Every Voice Counts. My name is Mubina Jaffer and today I will be discussing with Senator Pate the third and final prison I visited in British Columbia. The last prison we went to was the Kent Institution, the only federal maximum security prison for men in the Pacific region located near Agassiz. This visit I was once again accompanied by the tireless advocate on the rights of prisoners, Senator Kim Pate. We were also joined by Senator Mary Lou McFedron, as well as Emily Grant from Senator Pate's office and Medicine Pate Green from my office. Some of you may be interested to know that prior to her work with women in prison, Senator Pate worked with men inside prisons across Canada. When we arrived, we were met by senior staff at the prison who informed us that out of the 240 men inside, 88, that is one-third, are indigenous and 22 are black. We again saw the over-representation of indigenous people in prison. Senator Pate, you have spoken of this, in fact, in your first speech to the Senate about the over-representation of Indigenous people in prison. From the time we visited last time to this time, I felt it, I have no figures for this, but I just feel that we saw more Indigenous women. Is it worsening or is it the same? What is happening? Well, certainly the numbers of Indigenous prisoners, men and women, has been increasing. And the last report of the Correctional Investigator indicated that now 30% of the federal penitentiary uh, population is of men is Indigenous. And we, we saw it's even higher at places like Kent. We also know that the numbers who are classified as higher security, as, as you mentioned when about visiting Fraser Valley for women, for men it's true as well. If you're racialized, you're more likely to be classified as higher security as well. And so we saw that in terms of predominantly black and brown men in the maximum security unit. And uh, and we also saw many, many staff for the structured intervention unit, but virtually everybody locked in their cells, even though the, the new regime was supposed to involve people being out of their cells much more. You know, uh, I have to tell you, at Kent, I came away very angry. Because we learned of the, there 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 was a very clear that there was in this prison was a racist and toxic environment for the fellow, uh, you know, for the for the uh, racialized people and uh, this is and of course indigenous people must never forget that and this was another reminder of the racism and discrimination that happens within prison walls and I have to tell you that I'm really upset that when we asked the warden as to what training happened with, the, if you remember, with the prison guards and herself on racism. She said she had to contact national headquarters. How did you react to that? Well, I wish I could say I was surprised, but the reality is that um, particularly when you're asking a warden in an official capacity, if they're not sure what they should be answering, they will first find out what the official position is. That's why we hear such different things when we go into the prison and talk to staff on the front line uh, and from prisoners, because they usually tell us, as it is, what they're experiencing. And my guess is, well, and as in fact you experienced, when you ask that question of the staff, 
In fact, they had received virtually no training, if any. And so that was probably the truest answer is, you know, officially there may be training. There is no doubt um, part of the training regime is supposed to include anti-racism. And for women, it's supposed to include women positive or gender um, uh, gender centered or um, training. But the reality is, in, uh, in fact, what they receive may be a number of hours in their initial training, but overwhelmingly what they're trained in is security interventions. And so not a big surprise if most of your training is about how to intervene and use force um, and ex- exert power over people. That's more likely what you see in terms of the types of interventions. You know, I, I have to tell you that it was uh, one of the guards when he brought in white prisoners, and you say, oh, these are very, uh, you know, very amiable people, have no issues with them. And then when you brought a number of uh, black prisoners, he said, oh, these are very difficult prisoners. And I didn't find any difference between the two. Obviously, I don't deal with them daily. But I felt that even when they were being brought in to speak to us, they were treated differently. And I have to say, it's left a very difficult mark. Um, it's left a very difficult test in my mouth about that. You know, and when I, before, many years ago, when we were working on some legislation, I had black prisoners contact me all the time and say the same things that, you know, it's very difficult for us in prisons. We are treated differently. And now I saw it firsthand, and it has, we have a lot of work to do, that's for sure. And I'm certainly going to continue asking the minister questions on this. Um, you know, following a brief conversation with the staff, we were told that the unit we were planning to start our visit with was under lockdown, so we would be unable to meet the people face-to-face. And that's what happened last time. Remember, we were, we were not able to meet prisoners face-to-face, but things were supposed to change between our last visit and this visit, and instead we were again forced to speak to the men through their locked cell door. And... I tell you that I'm getting very emotional, but I can't imagine the lack of humanity these men would feel. You know, they're practically some didn't want to talk to us, and I don't, I don't uh, fault them for that. And it was suddenly as we arrived, there was a big lockdown, and I, I don't know, you were more experienced. Is it because of us, or there was seriously a lockdown? It's always hard to know, um, but what you have identified is not uncommon. That. When we were visiting as part of the Human Rights uh, Committee, I, as we were getting ready to go to the visits, um, the, the clerk mentioned, oh, there were some issues raised about why it might not be safe for us to participate. And I, my response was, consider what you're hearing and consider who benefits from the perspective you're being given. So when someone says it's not safe, the idea is supposed to be that we won't be safe. But if someone wants to meet with us, unless they're in a full-blown psychotic episode, in which case that would be immediately obvious, uh, why, how would it benefit them to put us in an unsafe position? It wouldn't. We have no power to release them. We have no power over them. And so when you consider the source of that information, um, then you, you should be questioning it. Is that valid? Is that right? Is that logical? In this case, when we went in, we wanted to see structured intervention units. Initially, we were told it would be for a short period of time. As soon as we started asking questions, you may have noticed it became a longer period of time. And it came, it, it went from 
a water spill to an attack on staff to an assault and to several assaults. And as you remember, the story escalated from water spilling to water being thrown, a garbage can being thrown, garbage being thrown, assaults, and the entire prison, never, that entire unit, by the time we left the prison, was still locked down. So we were told it'd be locked down for, and so we'd have to delay our visit. In the end, we never did get to do anything but talk to them through the cells. And when we were there, I don't know about you, but I did not see that water on the floor. No. I did not see garbage. I did no. not see anything that should have pre prevented us from being able to have that visit. Yeah, it was... As we were entering, suddenly lockdown, water spill, blah, blah, blah. And as the day wore on, it was more and more and more. And I can't help but think, really, what was that, right? And so um, it's... Um, and you know what? The, the lights in the cell, we, we saw they did not work. And uh, they were not turned off. And the showers did not appear to be regularly cleaned, despite alleged covid cleaning protocols and the the security intervention units. Um, these are units which the Correctional Service of Canada, who oversees all prisons, refers to an alternative to segregation or solitary confinement. However, we clearly saw that they are vis visually identical to all old cells used to isolate prisoners for days, weeks, and even months at an end. And... Um, I just can't fathom how a person can be isolated for that long. A human being is supposed to have social contact. And if you cut off the social contact, how do you ever expect that person? I can't imagine even for two days being socially isolated like that. These people are for days and days. Mm -hmm. What happens to them? Well, we see, I mean, it's why the um, the push to end the use of segregation has happened, because we see uh, that the impact of that kind of isolation is not only psychological, it's physiological, your, if your body can't move as much, it's neurological, and, uh, and it has long-lasting permanent impact. There are very few people who have been locked in segregation who don't have long-term permanent impact, even sometimes for as few as, a t as two, three days. And you know, some people have argued that, you know, lockdown during this pandemic has been similar to imprisonment. I would challenge that because we can have Zoom meetings, we can have telephone calls. When you're locked in a prison cell, the only people you have any contact with, and it's minimal, uh, is with the correctional officers, or to yell through the bar or bars or solid metal doors to other prisoners and that is not human contact and so no. so it's you know and we could isolate in small units absolutely it's been un you know unequal for many people the poorest and and most isolated have certainly suffered uh, but it's interesting that it was as a result of some of the research around the SARS epidemic that more research on segregation got done you know, ironically, it was that research that led to a better understanding of the significant impact that segregation can have on people. But, you know, our lockdown, we can still go for a walk. Mm -hmm. We can still go to the grocery store. You know, it's not like lockdown, uh, you know, with the door, the key gone, right? Mm -hmm. And it's very, very different. And, um, I mean, these men... They have no opportunities. They were saying they were really upset because they couldn't use the library. They couldn't use the gym. Uh, 
it's how do we expect them to even survive? It's mm-hmm. just really, really difficult to accept, you know, and um, I just don't accept that regardless of what crimes people have committed, that you don't... For me, this was continuing punish- punishment. It'll never end. For some, it'll never end because they will keep keep making mistakes because they are treated this way. Mm-hmm. And what do you see as a solution? Well, I don't see what happens as a solution, absolutely. As, as you heard people, and as you've just identified, behavior that would not be criminalized in the community gets criminalized in a prison. And not just criminalized. I mean, new charges are laid, criminal charges, sentences are added on to sentences. And so we end up seeing people, particularly those with mental health issues, accumulating longer and longer and longer penalties and never being able to earn their way out of prison. And so that's a blight on our community. We should be looking at that. One, we shouldn't be imprisoning people who have mental health issues. And two, we should be ensuring that they are in that the law is the law says it's supposed to be the shortest period of incarceration and only if no other system is available. That's not at all the approach we take and we should be taking some very different approaches. And you know, one of the things after Kent that I felt was that um, it's also how you speak to people, right? How guards speak to prisoners. You know, mostly guards, uh, excuse me saying this, are white. And sometimes how do they relate to the racialized? How do they relate to the indigenous? And definitely how do they relate to um, people with um, mental challenges? And, you know, I certainly feel we have a lot of work to do in the Senate. And I thank you for your leadership. Thank you so much, Senator Bate, for all the work you do. Thank you. You're and changing lives of people. Thank you. Well, thank you. And thank you for being part of the more than 30 senators who are going into prisons and exposing what happens. Thank you, Senator Bate. Thank you.